0: Testing, testing. Here for Pritchett Prime. No Pritchett today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter. And yes, today, no, Jonathan Pritchett. I'm so sorry. I should have brought him in for this, but um, uh, this there's a lot to get through here, and so I want us to have time to get through it. But thank you all for showing up. Uh, I know it's the middle of the day, which for you, European folk and some others, maybe that's a great time for it for some of you all. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's while you're at work and, and maybe on your lunch break, so I just appreciate that you're here while you are, so I understand if you have to go at some point. Yeah, so I was um, trying to, I was looking through this, uh, there's a video on YouTube that kind of corralled some Reddit users into explaining why they left Christianity and became atheists. And some of it is the stuff that we typically hear. In fact, I guess I should say all of it is stuff that we at one time or another hear from atheists. But um, maybe the Reddit users are uh, representative of people that um, are not like the YouTube video makers who are atheists out there. And so they, they don't know to avoid or they're not trying to avoid. They're just Maybe they're just being honest and, and not trying to avoid some of the uh, statements that are made by the uh, YouTubers who would avoid some of the pitfalls and obvious mistakes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what they have to say. And we're going to see uh, whether they have good reasons for having left Christianity. So, with that, let's just go ahead and jump right in. By the way, before we jump right in, let me just go ahead and say I do appreciate you all being here. Live streams are still somewhat new to me, and so we've done a few of them now. So there could be there could be some snafus, and if there are, thanks for bearing with us. Um, also, if you would like more, maybe you don't want to wait until uh, Trinity Radio posts another video. Um, then guess what? You can become a patron at uh, patreon.com slash trinity radio where you can get five full seminary courses. That is uh, hundreds and hundreds of topics. And PowerPoints to go with it, along with eBooks that are free for you if you're a patron. Um, All kinds of other stuff, too. Lost episodes. So we would love that. You can do that for a very small amount of money, and we sure do appreciate it. But this content is free, and I'm not going to interact so much with... I may see a comment here or there, and I may throw it up on the screen and comment. But I'm going to try to get through... Uh, this Reddit thing, and then at the end, maybe we'll have some time to chat back and forth. So, all right, let's jump right in. The question was asked of Reddit users why they left Christianity and became atheists,
1: and here we go. Serious? Christians turned atheists? What made you lose your faith? Short answer, grew up Southern Baptist. When I started getting to the age where I could think critically about things, I just started noticing some inconsistencies. Specifically, I was told that people who believed in other religions would go to hack because they followed the wrong religion. What? When religion is based a lot on where you are born, I just could not truly believe that people would be sent to hack for being born in the wrong country.
0: Okay, hope you all could hear that all right. So, um, I'll just go ahead and throw it up on the screen here so that, uh, you can see it. So, um, grew up Southern Baptist. Hey, so did I. Uh, There's a couple of things I want to point out about this, and I think we're going to see a theme begin to emerge in these videos. The first thing is, now, we're going to comment on some of what he says here specifically because I don't necessarily think he's right about why people end up going to heck. But uh, that said, let's just consider this for a moment. If this is true exactly as he says, as, as he describes it, does that mean that it's false? Like if, if, if Christianity were to say exactly what he's saying here as he's characterizing it, would that mean that Christianity is false? No, it would not. What it would mean is that this individual doesn't like what Christianity says. There are a lot of things that I don't like about the way the world is. There are a lot of facts about reality that I don't like. Some of the things that I don't like, other people do like. But the fact that I don't like them or the things that I like other people don't like doesn't mean that it doesn't affect the truth or falsity of any particular thing. I don't like the reality of cancer, but my not believing in cancer doesn't make cancer any less a reality. Some of you have heard me say that many, many times. And um, yeah, someone says, love the AI voice used for these meme videos. I do too. Um, (laughs) And what's really interesting is when you get into some really serious and kind of Graphic content, and yet you still have this bouncy British voice coming across there, uh, with the with the happy music behind it. Really, really interesting stylistic choices there. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to see a lot of comments where, uh, yeah, even if I give the person what they're saying, they they just don't like it. It's just something they don't like about Christianity. But that we shouldn't let our preferences about the way we would like things to be dictate the way the world really is. In fact, let me go a step further than most apologists will go and say, even if it turns out to be the case, that the way God is, not only do you not like it, but you personally would judge that to be um, wrong or morally unacceptable. That would not mean that it's not the way it is. And so we need to recognize that and understand that. Um He gives us the allegation of inconsistency here, and we're going to see this a couple more times in the video too. This allegation that there is an inconsistency when there is no inconsistency named by the individual. Uh, this person says inconsistencies plural, but we're only given one thing that is supposed to count as an inconsistency and that has to do with people being born in the wrong place and therefore more likely to uh, accept a false religion. So what are these inconsistencies? I don't know what they are so I can't respond to them. And in fact a lot of the times that we hear that there are contradictions or inconsistencies in the Bible sometimes they're tough things that we have to work through and try to understand, but sometimes what it is is the person just has a misunderstanding about doctrine or they have a misunderstanding about um, uh, uh, how to use genre properly to understand what's going on or metaphor. We saw in a video that we just did yesterday, maybe, that John Steingard from Hawk Nelson, who recently became, I guess, an agnostic or an atheist of some sort, um, he had a problem with all the killing in the Bible, and one of the examples he pointed to was the story of Abraham and Isaac, where nobody gets killed. And of course, there are layers of meaning to that. It points prophetically forward to the cross. It also uh, gives us an example of in the very day in which it is that God is not like the, the false gods of the peoples around about them. He doesn't want the Israelites to engage in child sacrifice. And uh, and so, so he stops Abraham, Abraham from doing that. There's a twist at the end and the best stories always have a twist. So I think all those kind of things are really important to point out. Oftentimes when we hear there's a contradiction or inconsistency incons- Consistency, it's just that the person doesn't understand what's going on hermeneutically within the text. Other texts, maybe there are some tough things. In fact, maybe one could present me with a, a supposed contradiction or inconsistency, and I would just have to say, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. But that doesn't mean there's not an answer, and we need to be open to those answers. So I think that's important. Now let's get to the meat of this objection, which is that the person says um, that— uh, He couldn't, uh, specifically, I was told that people who believed in other religions would go to heck because they followed the wrong religion. What? When religion is based a lot on where you were born, I just could not believe that people would be sent to heck for being born in the wrong country. All right. So let's grant him uh, a charitable position here. Let's go ahead and say, we understand that what the person is probably thinking is that he's not stated here. He hasn't done the work to give us like a a syllogism or something, but look, this is Reddit. They're just giving off the cuff answers. So let's fill in the gaps for him and make it as strong as it can possibly be. A loving and powerful moral God, a God that, that is good. You would suspect, I think he's saying, you would not suspect that he would let the chance of where someone is born and and therefore the religion that's going to be predominant there lead to their eternal destiny. That just doesn't seem right. Um, all right, uh, so, but here's the question. Is it because they were born in the wrong country, or is it something else? Uh, I think that where they're born and the dominant religion there does play a factor. It's not that we can completely ignore that, but I think it's based on something else. First of all, let's understand the Christian doctrine that— um, because we have this moral compass and people who have never heard of Christianity have this moral compass, right? Atheists always, you know, many times I I should say, will say, atheists can be good people too. Sure. Hindus, uh, atheists, agnostics, Muslims can be good people from a human perspective. The fact is that the moral claims that we make is that that there has to be a grounding for those moral uh, perspectives, those moral truths. Uh, But, Let's just go ahead and say every, most people, except for maybe a few people who have, have uh, mental disorders or something, most people have these moral inclinations. And because of that, they come to recognize that certain things are wrong. And, they, and we all know that we've all violated those certain things and we've all done wrong, which means that whether someone is aware of the penalty or not, or likes the penalty or not, there is a penalty for doing wrong, committing this wrong against the creator. How should they know that there is a creator? Well, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, I think, and I'm not just saying we believe this just because the Bible says so, I think that the Bible points out something that is an obvious truth to most people who have lived on planet Earth, and that is that the invisible things of God His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You can look at the world around you and there is enough design in creation to give you the understanding that, and we're going to talk more about design later on in this video, but to give you the understanding that um, there, there, there is a creator that made everything. So when you commit these moral sins, what we could call sins, what maybe someone else wouldn't have that word, but they understand that they're uh, violating that moral conscience that they have, when they do that, there's a penalty for that. So um, even if someone never hears the gospel, we're all sinners. It's not like, Everyone is so innocent. We all are sinners and there is a punishment for sin. Now, that said, let's move on and still take what he's saying because I think we all kind of resonate with, with the sentiment. Let's take it a step further and think about how Christian thinkers have answered this question. And I don't think that the Bible is silent on this. Perhaps it doesn't give us all the information that we would like to have, but the Bible is not silent on this. So, first of all, some Christian thinkers have said, look, it's, this is the way it is. If you don't hear the gospel, if you don't hear the Christian message about Jesus, if you don't hear the name Jesus, right, if you don't profess your faith in uh, this Messiah, then you will not be saved. And and that's just the way it is. In fact— on a practical level that belief has driven uh missionary movements throughout the history of the world such that or the history of christianity such that the church has spread all over the world and so has been taken to the the ends of the earth i remember when i went to australia um of course christianity beat me to australia by by a long shot but when i went to australia i thought if i've ever been to the ends of the earth for me this is the ends of the earth because it is smack the other side of the world so um you know i i i uh, I, I think you know, the, the Christian message has spread because of the belief these people need this message, right? Um, why do they need that message? Well, it's not just that they need that message for salvation. But even if like your eternal destiny, heaven or hell, wasn't on the line, it's not just about fire insurance. They still need the gospel message. They still need the message of the New Testament in order to understand with specificity how to live in the new kingdom to which a Christian is born. So all of that is important. But let's just say that that perspective was correct, that if they don't hear the Christian message specifically, and if we don't take it to them, then they're going to die and go to hell. If you don't think that sounds very fair, does that mean that it's false? What's the syllogism here? It doesn't mean that it's false. It just means you don't like it. Well, again, there are a lot of things about the way the world is that we don't like. It doesn't mean that they're not true. So I think that that's important to mention, but I don't actually think that that's the end of the story. Another explanation that is sometimes given, and by the way, this perspective is either held as the case, as the way it is, or as a viable possibility by none less than Billy Graham, my own father, and William Lane Craig. So um, take that into consideration as you think this through. This possibility is that perhaps God judges people based on the light that they are given. Uh, some people react, some Christians react very, very negatively to this, and um, and I understand that they're trying to be faithful to the Scripture, to the letter, but— um, I want to be I want to be uh, I want to articulate it here. So the idea is that the Bible teaches to whom much is given, much is required. And so because of that, we think, look, for those of us who are uh, perhaps born in the West or in other places where the Christian message has come, well, then in such a case, we are we, a lot is required of us. We have heard with specificity the gospel message, and we have many resources at our fingertips so that we can, um, take in this message and then live accordingly but if someone is born say on, into some tribal community um so on some island nation somewhere far removed from um from where christianity has ever reached you know i i have a friend who uh, in canada who travels to um travels to uh the uh, South America and, and does, um, I was distracted by some of the comments, but keep going. I, I love when you guys have your own conversations over there. But whenever someone travel he travels to South America and does missions in to some of these communities that, ha- and, he, and he has at least once gotten to a community that has never heard the gospel message. Guess what was already there? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola had gotten there before the gospel message. Um, but to such a person, uh, one might say, okay, if to whom much is given, much is required. Perhaps this person can look at the um, uh, the, the creation around them. As Paul says in Romans 1.20, they realize that without accepting the, the, the truth of the one true God, the creator God, then they are without excuse. They, they recognize that. They don't know the specificity of the New Testament, but if it were given to them, they would believe. Perhaps God judges them on that basis. For some Christians, that doesn't go nearly far enough because there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved except set the name of, uh, of Jesus. And um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Some people look at that and they say, look, unless they know Jesus specifically and know that it's Jesus they know, then, then that's not good enough, okay? Some people answer it by saying, well, perhaps at the point of death, an ans- uh, the gospel will be presented to people and they will have an opportunity to be saved. Um, others will take passages like, um, it's appointed unto me and wants to die. And after that, the judgment say, look, that isn't on, that's not in the cards. That's not the way it works. Um, uh, but here's an answer. uh, Calvinists may say, some Calvinists may say, look, Um, The fact they never hear the gospel may indicate that they are um, part of the unelect. And so, uh, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Molinism gives an answer. Um, And I won't go too deep into this. And if you don't know much about what Molinism is, don't worry about this too much. But Molinists might say, look, um, perhaps God ensured that the only people who would never hear the gospel are those same people that he knows in any possible world. That would be feasible for God to create. Those are the people that end up rejecting God in every feasible world. So uh, so that explains it. But the answer that I think probably makes the most sense of this is actually has some biblical foundation. Now, again, the Bible doesn't give us all of the answers that we would like to have, but I think there's something to this. Um, in Acts chapter 10, we have the story of Cornelius, who is a man who is open to the truth about the one true God. In other words, he sees the general revelation of the world around him. He has some understanding of of conversations and discussions that have gone on about God. He's open to the truth about the one true God. And so what happens? God actually sends what we call in theology special revelation. Special revelation is that specific message um, about Jesus or about other theological truths. He sends Peter to give him that message. And so Cornelius has the opportunity to believe in this more specific message. Now, I can't be dogmatic about this. But I think that it's very interesting that according to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, oftentimes when we get to people who have never heard the gospel, it turns out they were just asking that God would reveal to them the truth uh, about who he is. Um, we I have a whole video that shows that um, people in embedded Muslim countries who don't have access to Christianity have received dreams and visions where Jesus himself serves as the one who points them to the opportunity for evangelism, to some missionary or to some Bible. And so perhaps it is the case that for those people, in any place, who are open to the message, and God knows that about them, he will provide a way for the specifics of that message to be provided. I think that makes sense of this. But I can say this at the very least. So long as that is even a possibility, then what that means is it serves as what's called a philosophical defeater, and the claim that— this is incompatible with a loving and all-powerful God, simply fails. And so I think it answers this question. So uh, that does it for question number one. By the way, this video has a lot of questions or a lot of statements. Um, I'm only going to go through 10 of them. And perhaps if a lot of people are blessed by this video or enjoy this video, we might do more later. So let's uh, let's go on now to the next point, uh, the next person and what their reasons are.
1: Taking a mythology class in college and realizing all the different religions had similar origin stories of how Earth and man were created and evolved, but the details differed based on the environment the people lived in and how far along they were technologically. Anything science couldn't explain was the will of a higher power. Not saying higher powers couldn't exist, just realized people are killing each other because theirs is the right god. But the people don't realize that for all intents and purposes, they are all following the similar lesson stories. I also believe religion is separate from its organization structure. I think being spiritual and believing in a higher power is okay. It has helped mankind cope with the terrifying uncount. Anybody telling you that God wants you to donate money to them so that their leader can live in a super mansion or own an airplane is a freaking liar. Last I checked, none of that money ever gets trickled up to a deity.
0: Well, okay, to that last point, um... Obviously, we sympathize with the idea that somebody shouldn't be giving money so that someone can have a big mansion and all, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, so, uh, just, so some stuff that we can resonate with there. All right, so again, I'll try to throw this one up on the screen so that you can have it in front of you as we move through it. Uh, but uh, basically, what I want to say about this is, first, he says different religions have similar creation myths. Now, this is his reason for uh, coming to a place of rejection of Christianity. He says um, different religions— uh, have similar creation myths? Well, yes and no. Um, obviously, th- those religions that believe that there is a creator God are going to have that similarity, right? But even, even when you b- come into theism or supernaturalism more broadly, it doesn't mean that the creation myths are all the same. For instance, uh, the Cherokee have a creation myth that involves a beetle going down to the bottom of the ocean and bringing up mud that then serves as land. Hindus do not have a monolithic creation myth. Now, if you wanted to narrow this to the great monotheistic religions uh, that have impacted the world, so let's take uh, Judaism... Uh, Christianity and Islam. Obviously, they're going to have a similar creation story, and why is that? Well, because they're pointing to the Book of Genesis. They're t- they're pointing to uh, Abraham's God. Uh, obviously, we describe God very differently than we think Mus- Muslims do. We think so much so that I don't know that it counts as in any meaningful sense the same God, right? And we think that uh, Judaism doesn't get you to the Trinitarian God of the Bible. Nevertheless, when we come to the creation story, there are going to be similarities there. But that's not because we have three separate religions who are affirming on their own separate, the same creation story. We have three separate religions who are affirming the Genesis creation story, right? So that's one source that gives you a similar creation story. So obviously it's going to be the same in that regard. Uh So that is very important to mention there. Now, similarities between creation stories. Does that mean that Christianity is false? I don't see how, Um, you know, the, obviously there is the parallelism that goes on with all areas of Christianity where people try to find similarities with other things and say, therefore it, you know, it doesn't work. But even if we were to grant all of that, it wouldn't mean that these aren't counterfeits and that there isn't a one, um, actual truth of the matter that does share some commonalities with other things. Um, we've talked before on this show, how uh, the voyage of the Titan, which is this, um, fictional novella about a, uh, ship called the Titan, uh, that I think was from 14 years before, uh, the story of the Titanic, but the Titan has all of these similarities, including hitting an iceberg and going down in the water like to the mile, I think, uh, from the same shore as, as the Titanic and all these things such that people thought that the author of it was some kind of a clairvoyant or something. I mean, you know, these things happen. Uh, other airplanes have hit other buildings in New York City and some of the similarities are there with this World Trade Center, but we wouldn't say therefore the World Trade Center didn't happen or therefore Titanic didn't happen or whatever the case may be. So the fact that there may be similarities between creation stories, but let's not overblow that. Let's recognize that there are a variety of different creation stories, and the similarities may be because um, uh, other religions were drawing off of Christianity, or in the case of Judaism, Islam, and uh, uh, Christianity, we have a shared creation story, at least to some degree, as they're pointing to the creation story of Genesis. So all of those things, I think, are very, very important uh, for us to mention. Now, he also says that, uh, let's see where it is, anything science couldn't explain was the will of a higher power. Now, I think that I could try and help out here and and express what I think he's trying to say, he or she. I think they're trying to say anything science couldn't explain is explained or was explained by a higher power. Um, this comes up a lot, right? That, that it's just a God of the gaps. When we don't understand something, we, we attribute that to God. But of course, as science has made advances, um, the, God is being pushed further and further back into the corner because we don't need him as an explanation for these things. Well, if that's what the Reddit user means, this is simply false. For instance, um, let's think about the nature of um, the origin of life, abiogenesis. Uh, this is an area where we don't yet have a, a clear explanation of what's going on there. I've just recently been studying this and um, uh, just had a phone conversation the other day. I mentioned it uh, earlier this week. Had a phone conversation with Tom Jump about this, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it confirmed for me that, yeah, we we really don't know what's going on here. And so as a result, we, we have to get, see, early on what was thought uh, a couple hundred years ago or 150 50 years ago, was that the protoplasm that is inside of the cell is very basic. There wasn't the understanding of all the intricacy that's going on there. And as we've learned more, so as we've learned more about the cell, understand it's not that we have now less and less reason to believe that there's the involvement of an intelligence, a guiding intelligence. Actually, what we're finding out is that there is more and more reason to believe in a guiding intelligence. How do you get these encoded structures in DNA? How do you get this language system? That, that, that communicates information where the RNA comes in there and copies the DNA and then takes it and, and, and builds the protein molecules that are necessary um, to, to, for life to, to continue. Uh, some have tried to explain it with chance, but we just don't have the probability resources in the history of the Earth, much less the history of the universe. There's not enough time or chemical interactions to allow for us to even get to 50, fit, a 50-50 chance that we would get that arrangement properly chance doesn't account for this the idea that there is some necessity that there's some sort of an attraction or force that would draw these things together in the right way has failed and um uh and, and and so people have moved on to this real look at RNA and maybe somehow RNA explains it but there just hasn't been and it looks like there is no way by chance or by natural law to get to this point where we have something like this the point is what I want that I want to make out of this is that the the more you move on and the more we come, have come to understand uh, abiogenesis or the nature of the cell, the more we realize that this is the work, this seems to be the work of an intelligence. I'm not saying that scientists will conclude that. But what I'm saying is that the information bearing capacity there that's necessary is something that we have 100 percent of our experience uh, tells us that is the work of an intelligence, and we have zero counterexamples to my knowledge that give you that sort of specified complexity that we need. So the idea is it's not that the more we learn about you know science and naturalism, God is pushed away. No, it's the more we learn about the way the world is and the more philosophical investigations and historical investigations move, the higher and higher the bar of skepticism has to be raised in order, to the point where, as I've said many times, it's like you need Cartesian certainty before a skeptic will accept anything because that That's how high they've had to raise the bar in order to believe because they've had to because um, we have such good reason to believe in God. So um, I think that does it for number two. Uh, Let's go ahead now and move on to number
1: three. I just started thinking, how did I happen to be born in the right religion and the believers of other religions feel the same way I do when praying? Also, I happen to read about cargo cults. Then I thought to myself wouldn't some people on a dessert want to feel special? Wouldn't they want to be the chosen people of God? Also I realized that they are basically forcing you to believe something with no evidence or else you will suffer for the rest of eternity and that was pretty much when I stopped believing. The funny thing is that I still attended Sunday school when I was slowly turning away from religion. After reading online about other people's experiences I'm very glad everyone was okay with me changing my belief and we're still hanging out.
0: OK, before we move on to this one, I just want to say uh, what's his face four says argument from ignorance. Now, this is a common mistake, and I want to be uh, friendly and kind when I point this out. But uh, oftentimes, whenever uh, pretty much any time someone gives a theistic argument, you're going to find many YouTube atheists who are going to say, well, that's just an argument from ignorance. In other words, you can't explain something. And so you're going to say uh, that it's God. This is exactly what I want to kick back against the the point that i was just making is it's not that we don't because we don't know of a mechanism for this we throw god in there what we're saying is what we do know what we do know, inference to the best explanation, the kinds of explanations that we have for language systems and encoding structures like we have in our computer systems for this specified complexity, what what that always indicates, except for this, you can't beg the question here, is that it always seems to indicate a prior intelligence in the initial conditions, and so when we come to something like this, it's not an argument from ignorance. We're we have this hypothesis. It, it, we think all the evidence points to an intelligence. It's not that we don't have any evidence, and so we're just saying maybe God did it. We're saying no, the evidence that we have seems to point to this um, uh, this intelligence. So I wanted to I wanted to go ahead and throw that out there. All right, so let's see if we can throw up what this person has said. Um, let's see. I just started thinking, how did I happen uh, to be born into the right religion? And the believers of other religions feel the same way I do when praying. Also, I happened to read about cargo cults. Then I thought to myself, wouldn't some people on a desert island want to, or on a desert, I guess he means on a desert island, want to feel special? Wouldn't they want to be the chosen people of God? Um, And they're forcing you to believe without evidence. Now, what's interesting about this is this is the first time so far that we've really had a mention of. Uh, Of evidence, really. I mean, this is really the first time. And what is it? It's an assertion that we don't have evidence. It's just an assertion. That's all that this is. And I think that that's really important to point out. We're going to get that a lot. Now, again, this is a Reddit. Thing, but but he didn't give me any uh, evidence, uh, any of the evidence that he's talking about or why the arguments that we have fail or anything like that. Now, as for this claim that I just started to think, how did it happen that I was born into the right religion? This is kind of like the first objection, isn't it? But let's think about it a little bit more deeply. Let's imagine that we were going to p- make an Easter egg hunt for a bunch of children in our neighborhood and uh, we told the children to spread out in the yard. And we knew that after we had placed the Easter eggs all over the yard, right, we, had, we placed the Easter eggs. And let's just say we were the worst um, worst adults that you've ever met. Like we really wanted to uh, be cruel to these kids, which we wouldn't want to do. And so we didn't put anything in in any of the Easter eggs except for one. And that one Easter egg has $100 and candy in it. Okay, And we've put that $100 and that candy in that one Easter egg, and these kids are spread out all over the yard. Now, it just so happens that one of these kids is standing nearest to the egg that has the $100 and the candy in it. Um, So uh, he happens to reach down. The first egg he picks up happens to be the right egg, and he has the one with the $100 and the candy in it. Now, would you then say... Uh, clearly none of the egg, this isn't really a hundred dollars. It didn't really have candy in it. That kid must be a delusional or something because none of these other eggs had. And how is he going to be the one that's lucky enough to be right next to the one with the egg in it? No, no, no. It's perfectly feasible that, that we did this and that one egg does have the money and does have the candy. It's perfectly feasible that these other religions are false and that one of these religions happens to be true. Just logically, this doesn't, it just doesn't work. Um, this this criticism. So I've, I wish that people would evaluate it a little bit more like that. But now let's move on to the second thing about hell. Now, obviously, there are various understandings of hell within Christianity. Uh, but let's just say that that even if all of this is the way he characterizes it, this is what I've been pointing out again and again. All he's saying is, I don't like that setup. I don't like that. That's not fair. I don't like that. Well, again, there are a lot of things in the world that we don't like. We don't get to decide what's true based on whether or not we like it, and that's a very, very important thing to keep in mind. Why? Now, this is a this is an interesting. I, I want to point something out here, um, while we have this moment here at the end of a um, aliquid aliter says. Why is he blinking his eyes so much? You know that little green light that is on a desktop computer that blinks as the hard drive is at work so that you know that your computer is uh, functioning and that it's it's doing something? Um, that's what my eyes are like on me. I have noticed this about myself, and I've seen people m- mention this a couple of times, that I, I do tend to blink my eyes a whole lot when I'm thinking and talking at the same time and trying to keep things running smoothly. Can't do anything about it. That's just the way it is. Sorry about that, Aleter, or however you pronounce your name. All right. um, uh, So uh, let's see. Benny says he's trying to quickly come up with an excuse. Uh, Right, because it's not like I haven't thought about every one of these issues that we're discussing multiple times before. Um, I mean, come on! Give some people the benefit of of thinking a little bit uh, ahead here. It's like when I'm looking at a, a Bible passage. Sometimes people will say, uh, "Look here, this you know uh, this Bible passage he contradicts what he contradicts what he said uh, in the you know five verses prior." Yeah, give biblical authors the benefit of the fact that they probably are aware of what they just wrote, um, and maybe there's another explanation. And give me the benefit of the doubt that I've probably thought about these things in the past, especially when I was going to talk about them on a video today. All right, so let's um let's just move on and again, uh, it get caught up in the chat sometimes. I think we're on number 4. Let's go ahead and hear what number 4 is.
1: My mom and dad are really really Christian. They are the PPL who would attend the Make America Straight conference. My dad are the worst of the family. He think he has somewhat of a childhood trauma that's made it worse. My dad thought it was okay to for example hit me, my siblings and my mom. I grew up in a family as the middle child of five. Two older sisters and two younger brothers. We did all of the things that Christian families do like go to church like every day and praying and had all sort of rules. I believe that hardcore. I was always kinda left out of the family and that I think made me question a lot and it gave me a lot of consequences. Well life went on. When I wear 11 my older sister married a massive a-hole when she got 18 and he was like 20 IDK. The dude she married was the pastor's son so it was honor for my mom and dad. She always said to my mom and dad that he didn't treat her well. Sexual abuse and stuff. But they didn't never believe her and said that that's a part of the marriage. She changed a lot. Got more sad and didn't talk as much as she used to. I didn't meet her for like 2 years and she got kids and stuff. One day we got a phone call from her man. She was dead. She had had enough and took her own life. My family didn't like it at all. Suicide and mental illness was not okay and we didn't talk about her anymore. At this time of my life I found this YouTuber named Mr. Atheist and he opened my eyes a bit. The final straw was when I couldn't play in my handball team cause one of the player's mums were gay and they wanted me to stop playing. We had eye fight and some months later I didn't have any faith left. My family didn't talk to me again. I was 14. Now I live with my mom's sister, and sometimes they come to my matches but never talk to me. That's really sad. Hope you are doing better now.
0: Okay, now I want to be real sensitive here at this point, and I want to say that, look, um, the truth is that this shows the importance of Christians, the need for Christians to be Christians. If you're going to bear the name of Christ, try to represent Christ, and we're all going to fail. We're all going to make mistakes. But well, we should be endeavoring to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can to the people that are around us, to treat people with love and to, uh, and to show the world that we do love them. I want people to know who are in the chat right now that if you're an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic and you're here today or whatever you are, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, uh, this channel exists because we love non-Christians. And so... Um, th- that that's not lip service. I don't have to do this with my time, but but we am not also not saying look how great I am. I'm just saying that we really do love you. We love uh, people, and we want to express that. And what, it, people do leave uh, the church and walk away from Christianity because of the actions of some Christians. And whatever we want to say about the logic of that, the fact is. That should serve as a clarion call for those of us who bear the name of Christ to act like Christ. And in your own life, the issues of sin that you have and the way that you treat people and the way you talk to people, repent of those things, get right with the Lord Jesus Christ and begin living as much as you can like Jesus. And by the way, as I'm saying this to you right now, um, I could be saying it into a mirror at myself. And of course, since I can see myself on the screen, I am saying it to myself because I need to do that. And there are things that I need to get right about and, and ways that I need to walk more like Jesus as well. So sorry for the sermon sermonizing there, but that sermonizing is pointed primarily to other Christians, because that is an important thing. What this individual experienced was horrific, and I don't want people to experience that, especially from people bearing the name of Christ. So so as far as that goes, my sympathies to this person, I can't even relate. I have no idea what it would be like to go through what this individual went through. So um, so, so that is important to mention. But the next thing that I want to say about this, as far as the the, the truth value of what we're discussing goes, Something horrible, several somethings horrible happened in this person's life. That had nothing to do with what the Bible actually teaches. You understand? This is, again, and and, hey, I want to say, many times atheists will say, it's not that something bad happened in my life. And I believe them. Many times it's not because something bad happened in your life. But you know what? Sometimes an atheist is an atheist because something bad happened in your life. And if you're an atheist who, who speaks as though that is never the case, and I, I hope you don't because that is often the case, sometimes people become Christians or become atheists for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with evidence or intellectual considerations, but because of how they are treated. And we need to keep that in mind as we move forward. But this has no bearing on the truth value of the claim. We have people claiming to be Christians who are acting badly, and we don't want to be those people. That's the takeaway here. But it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not Christianity is true. Um, now, if all Christians were that way, okay, maybe there we, we need to consider this, but, but, um, but even then it wouldn't necessarily prove the point. So I, I think these are all important issues that, that needed to be mentioned. Let's move on to number five.
1: I was in a hard time for me and I started praying, attending Catholic activities and doing lots of other things like these. I wasn't feeling better. Years after I gave up doing these things and started taking care of me by myself and now I'm happy. So the faith gradually went away. I'm not fully an atheist though. I may be an agnostic but I'm not sure.
0: Okay, um, I think that was number five and I think I can put that, yeah. Uh, I was in a hard time for me and I started paying attention or praying, attending Catholic activities, doing lots of other things. All right. uh, So the person wants to point out it it didn't make me feel better. Um, I started taking care of myself, I guess we want to say, in other ways. And now I'm happy, happy. So now they're an atheist or agnostic. Now, the thing that I want to point out is here, a mistaken view about Christianity, a mistaken view that if something doesn't make you happy, it shouldn't be believed. I mean, do you really I mean, again, let's go back to COVID-19 or cancer or something like that. Those things don't make me happy. Should I then not believe them? It doesn't make me happy to think that smoking cigarettes might kill people. Um, Should we should we not believe it then? And, and just encourage everyone to smoke, just, hey, don't believe it anymore. Are, are we going to do this thing like The Secret, or we actualize our reality by deciding what we're going to believe is true or not? I mean, come on, that's, that's, that's absurd. That's not how it works. We shouldn't believe things just because they make us happy or not. Um, this goes back—a lot of Christians do speak this way, and so perhaps this is partly our fault. We speak about the practical value of uh, Christianity for your life as a, you know, Western uh, Christian with, you know— uh, uh, you know, drywall and air conditioning and all the niceties of the world, but that, that's not how we should be looking at this. Uh, Joel Osteen is one of the biggest m- pastors in America, and um, he, uh, his wife said in 2014, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it, she said from the pulpit. We're doing it for yourself because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. Just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. If that's the Christianity you have. Now, I'm not saying God wants you to be unhappy. That's not the point. And, And ultimately, we are promised a kingdom where we will have not just happiness, which comes and goes, but joy. Um, and you can have the joy of your salvation right now, but joy is a separate thing from happiness. In fact, we have, the, we, we have the words of Jesus telling us that sometimes we will not experience, sometimes we will experience persecution for his namesake. It will not always be happy. I, I wonder what um, Joel Osteen's wife would have said to the Apostle Paul when they were about to cut his head off in Rome. What you have said, now, oh, Paul, let me give you four methods for happiness at this point in your victorious Christian life. Listen, I, I don't think that you're necessarily always happy as a Christian, but that's not why we are Christians. We're Christians because we think it represents the truth about the nature of reality. Now, it does bring along practical value many, much of the time, and that's a very important thing to consider. Um, you know, uh, I, I think about the reasons that we give people to attend church. Um, oftentimes churches have amenities and I think that's perfectly fine. Churches have coffee. Churches have coffee bars. Sometimes they have great music. Sometimes some more than others, they may have a gymnasium for people in the community to use. Um, you know, they may have all these amenities, but if the, but if you pick a church, if you tell someone you ought to come visit my church because we have this great coffee bar and the music is great. And we have this gymnasium and all these kind of things that those are all things that you can mention. But those are not the principal reasons someone should come to church. Those aren't the principal reasons that people should be Christians. The principal reasons is because it represents the truth about the way the world is. That is the most important thing. And so all of those other things are fine. But what has happened in at least American Christianity, and I suspect in the West in general, is we have sold Christianity as a consumer product. And that leads to big problems. Because if worldview is then adopted on the basis of whether or not it makes me happy as a consumer product, then we've got a big problem here, because people are going to take that to heart. For instance, a single mother may choose to go to um, the the mega church in her community on Sunday morning because she just went through a divorce. And so as a result, uh, the pastor there, he never says anything real controversial or negative. Not that all megachurches are that way, but this particular guy, I mean, it's just always love and happiness and all these kind of things. And it makes her feel better about who she is in the world. And then on Tuesday, she takes her kids to the mosque because they have a great after school program with a great gymnasium. And then on Thursday, she goes to the local Hindu temple because they have an incredible yoga class and she just picks and chooses different aspects of a worldview based on the consumer products that they offer. This is not how we should construct our worldview. We should construct our worldview based on what is true. And that's what we should be telling. The world, why they should accept these things, and so I think all of that is very important to say. And so I want to say that to this person. Um, I, I don't know why attending certain Catholic activities or Christianity in general didn't make you happy. There's a good chance that if you become a Christian, you're going to be ostracized by certain people. It may create problems for you. But you don't become a Christian primarily or only to engage uh, to gain happiness. You become a Christian because you recognize it's the truth about the way the world is. You want to be saved from your sins, and you want to have a Lord in Jesus. Christ. That's the reason to become a Christian. All right, let's move on. I think we're on number six. So let's go on to number six.
1: Going to Catholic school did it for me. They were teaching us things that contradicted what they had taught the year before, and you couldn't really ask questions. If you did, the theology teacher would yell about that what faith is for. Don't question the Bible. What really really made me disgusted was that the teachers were adamant that suicide sends your soul straight to heck because you took the life of one of God's creatures. A schoolmate had a father who took his life and the way they handled it was horrible and basically made mental health issues a nothing burger. Three years after the above incident my brother took his own life and these butthole teachers had the audacity to show up to the visitation to pay their respects. I had to walk away so I wasn't rude
0: okay so again what I want to point out here is we have another example of something horrible that happened now first he mentions con- he or she mentions contradictions uh how how their theology teacher would point to something that was contradicting something that was said before I don't know what those things are again oftentimes when I hear some allegation of biblical, Contradiction. Sometimes with theological contradictions, they're not really contradictions. They there just needs to be further explanation. But you understand, I can't do anything about that if I don't know what those alleged contradictions are. Um, but then when when he starts talking about the 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 stuff about mental illness and all those things, wh- where are those things that were taught or believed taught in the Bible? What, I, was this the one? Let's see. I, w- I want to make sure. Let me let me throw it up here real quick. Was this the one that talked about a schoolmate had a father? Took his life, and the way they handled it was horrible. Basically, uh, made it th- so there's there's someone on one of these that says that if someone does that, if someone takes their own life, then they um, then they they then they're lost, irreparably lost. I, I want to know where are some of these ideas taught in the Bible? Where is that Bible passage? I think you're going to have a hard time finding it. So again, judging Christianity on the basis of some Christians, obviously there are some Christians who act horribly and believe things that are false. But I want to point out that again and again and again and again, what we've heard is, I don't like that, so I'm not going to believe it. That's not pleasant, so I'm not going to believe it. I don't like these particular Christians, how they acted, so I'm not going to believe in Christianity. These are reasons, and I want to be sensitive to this, if these are the reasons you became an atheist, if these are the reasons you're experiencing doubt right now, I get it. And I'm, and I'm glad to tell you not every Christian is that way. But those are not, in terms of logic, those are not good logical reasons to reject Christianity. You cannot reject Christianity for these reasons and then claim that you, came, that you became an atheist for intellectual reasons or because you wanted to be a free thinker. That is not what happened. Now, I will be fair to atheists. Oftentimes the way it happens is something like this prompts the doubt, and then further on down the road they look at the evidence and, and then they end up, Um, leaving because of the culmination of all of those things. But, of course, by then you've got the bias installed from the initial conditions that we've seen here that some Christian acted badly or something that you thought was biblical that wasn't. Not saying that's always the case. Again, as I always say on here, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. But it's often the case. And I think all of those things are important things to mention. Let's move on to number seven, and let's see what else we've got. There's only ten, so we're getting close to the end here.
1: I was raised Roman Catholic, Around 12 I started to read the Bible. That did it for me. I'm fully convinced that reading the Bible with an open mind is the most effective way to become an atheist. It's bad crap crazy. You're not alone in that belief. Most atheists in predominantly Christian countries are firmly of the opinion that actually reading the Bible, and doing so with the intent of looking at what it actually says, is the leading cause of atheism. Many of them that used to be Christian will tell you that they lost their faith the same way you did.
0: Okay, so the question we want to ask here is, uh, obviously, that is, that is something that many atheist popularizers have said. It's become a bumper sticker chest-thumping meme on the internet that you want to be an atheist, read the Bible. Well, there are a lot of people that have read the Bible many, many, many times and have not become atheists. In fact, I'll point you to Genetically Modified Skeptic, who, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm sorry if I'm not, but I think he said in a recent video, don't tell people that. Because he said, when I was a Christian, I'd read the Bible and I was still, a, I was still a Christian, you know. So, uh, you know, do better with stuff like that. But, it, but perhaps it was the reason for this person, or perhaps they became, a, for other reasons, then decided to take this bumper sticker. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, that's that's the reason they did. We then hear the allegation that that many or perhaps most uh, leave for that reason. Um, is that the case? Well, let's look at the sample that we've got here today. If that, I mean. We have ten uh, that we've that we've that we will have looked at by the time we get done here. And I think two of them, two of them said that it was because of something to do with the Bible, or that the Bible reading the Bible led them to be um, atheists. Um, is that most of what we got? No, most of what we got was I didn't like the way Christians acted or this horrible thing happened in my life or um you know something like that. So uh, I think this is um, the 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 reports that this is the reason people become atheists is greatly exaggerated. Let's move on to number eight.
1: I stopped believing because of Santa Claus. As a kid, I wanted magic to be real. I needed it to be. And everyone told me it was. Just have faith and believe in magic and it will be real. That's apparently all it took. Finding out Santa wasn't real was a major bummer to my child self. And it literally made me question everything else I'd been told. Especially because when it came to talk of God. As everyone told me the exact same thing. Have faith. Believe. Just let him into your heart. Yeah, you guys fed me the same lines about Santa and look how that turned out. 8 year old me just discovered skepticism. I ended up going to a Christian homeschool in my teens. I lived in Germany, and it was the only way for me to get an American education. I never stopped that discerning, questioning attitude. Eventually I just started to roll my eyes at a lot of the claims in the teachings, and the excuses of why things were the way they were just felt like people trying to fill in the blanks. For example, nobody could provide proof God existed, and they'd just point to the Bible as proof. Just look at it, it's all the proof you need, I'd counter the Bible was written by man and they could say anything they wanted. Oh, but God guided them to write it. So, let me get this straight. God's all-powerful, yet can't write his own book. Why does he need regular people to do it for him? Couldn't he just will it into existence like he did the Ten Commandments? And second, if God were all-powerful, wouldn't the Bible be written in a language every human could understand and didn't need to be open to interpretation? Over the years my spirituality grew less and less. All because I asked basic questions and nobody could ever give me an answer that didn't ultimately end up coming back to Santa Claus. You just have to have faith. I can't stand the Santa Claus BS and had the exact same thought process along with anger at being lied to and me blindly defending Santa in grade school to the Santa denies lol.
0: Um, yeah, so, uh, I wanted to say just a minute ago we had... Let's see. Where did he go? Yeah. I'll probably pronounce this wrong, but Jovan Millick says, I read the Bible and became born-again Christian. So uh, so let's keep that in mind as well. Yeah, um, I noticed someone saying, I, I, what I need is, I want hardcore, you know, like hard evidence, not not this stuff that historians say and do and all that. You know, historians function largely on inference to the best explanation. I'm currently auditing a philosophy of science course from a major university. You know what I've discovered? scientists use inference to the best explanation. Scientists use inductive reasoning when they're doing their work uh, much of the time. And sometimes they can't do the sorts of experimentation that you're thinking of that you learned in grade school. So what do they do? They build a hypothesis on inference to the best explanation. Just throwing that out there. um, What historians are doing is, is, is not science in the sense that most natural sciences think of it. But when you're looking at the resurrection, this is again me commenting on something that was in the chat, you're using a form of argumentation that is also used in the natural sciences. So if you want to champion science as an atheist-free thinker, just keep all of that in mind. We don't want to cut the legs out from under ourselves. All right, so Santa Claus. This one comes up a lot. So is belief in Santa similar to belief in God? The The phenomenon set forth as evidence for the existence of Santa is easily explained naturalistically as the efforts of adult humans to trick child humans. We know how this works. We know all of the things that are put forth as evidence that the milk and the cookies have been eaten or drank, that the presents are uh, placed there when they weren't there the night before. Um, the news broadcast, because even the news companies are in on it now, tracking Santa's course across the world. You know, all of these kind of things, the evidence of those things. We can investigate the evidence for Santa. Thank goodness that Santa believers have given us the evidence for the Santa apologists, have given us this evidence, and we can evaluate that evidence. And we, we come to the conclusion, oh, guess what? It's adult humans who, are, who stand behind this evidence. And so we conclude there's no good reason to believe in Santa Claus. Has the same thing happened with uh, God? No. Plenty of adult humans of every walk of life, including incredibly intellectually advanced humans um, with high IQs in every field of study believe in God, and the evidences that are provided by Christian apologists for God have not been defeated, at least the very best of them, right? So there is a very clear difference here. What's the difference between Santa and God? They provide different forms of evidence, and we can use that evidence to find out the truth about Santa, and we can use that evidence to find out the truth about God. So, though this may work well as a bumper sticker or a meme, it just simply fails as the atheist having said anything meaningful to give you a reason to reject the belief in God. So, um, with that, oh, no, I want to say this too. But I think there is something to take away from this, and that is that— uh, I was just looking at um, someone else making the same point I just made in the, in the chat. Uh, but, um, but look, here's the thing I want to, I want to say something about if you're a parent uh, or if you have influence with parents, maybe you're a youth pastor or a, or a pastor or something, do not, here's my recommendation. Look, I'm not a killjoy. We do Santa at Christmas time. We put up the Christmas tree. We talk about Santa Claus. And, and I didn't like, as soon as my kid was capable of having a conversation, say, I want you to understand there is no Santa. But we always gave the, uh, we were always open about the fact that Santa was just a fun part of what we were doing um, around that time of year. The first time my kid began to speak as though they thought Santa was real, I was very clear with them Santa is just for fun. Santa is just something fun we do. Why? Because the, the, I, I didn't want, just as this person said, both of these people, In this Reddit comment, I don't want my kid hearing me talk to them about Santa Claus and giving them all these reasons and trying really hard to convince them that Santa Claus is real and they find out later that he's fake and then that they end up thinking the same thing about God rather than looking at the evidence. I I don't want that to happen. And I think it's really important for parents to think about that much, much more seriously um, than they currently do. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and, uh, and as for the last thing, the person says about, well, why did God put the Bible together the way that he did and use man and all these kind of things? That's again, just, I don't like the way God did it. Or maybe I, I don't understand why God would have done it that way. This gets into a little bit of divine psychology where we think about the God that we don't believe exists. And we try to think about how we think that God would have done things if he did exist, even though we don't think that he exists. And that is a bizarre epistemology. Um, maybe you don't like or understand why God did it the way he did. That doesn't mean God didn't do it the way that he did. And so it'd be better to interact with the evidence and uh, believe based on that. All right. So um, let's, um, let's move on now to number nine and let's see what we get next. We're almost there.
1: When a deacon told me that disability was an abomination of God and the disabled were a burden to us all and a mistake. Hitler is calling. He wants his political views back.
0: Yeah. So uh, let me throw this one up here. Um, First of all, uh, I could, you know, I really could just say, look, bad experience in church that had nothing to do with God or the Bible. I could say that because this does share in common with much of what we've seen so far. This someone was said something horrible to me or I didn't like this aspect of it. Uh, But that that doesn't represent the Bible necessarily or God. And it's not necessarily the truth about the way it is. Um, but let's actually go further than that. I don't believe this deacon was thinking this way at all. I do not believe this deacon was aware of this passage or thinking along these lines. But it is the case that in Leviticus chapter 21, when they were talking about the regulations for tabernacle worship for the children of Israel in the wilderness, um, one of the things that was... So everything that is going on in the tabernacle is has ceremonial and symbolic importance. I mean, the tabernacle was dripping with ceremony and and symbolism. And if you miss that, you'll miss all of this. Um, And also you need to understand that the tabernacle, which was this big tent that later the the temple was what became of the tabernacle when it had this permanent location, but the tabernacle was this tent. And basically the the tabernacle and later the temple don't think of it as a church. If you think of it as a church, Um, you're misunderstanding exactly what's going on here. It wasn't a church as such. It was a slaughterhouse for animal sacrifice. And so animal sacrifices were offered to Yahweh here in the tabernacle and later in the temple. When tabernacle worship was performed, the ceremonial importance of what was going on was so important that on the day of the tabernacle dedication, um, uh, uh, I think it's Nadab and Abihu, did every, you know did this thing wrong and, and played with what we could call strange fire and died as a result of it. Ceremony and symbolism is extremely important to what's going on here. And it is the case that in uh, aspects of the t- tabernacle worship, if someone had a physical disability, they weren't to take place in that aspect of tabernacle worship. Now, is that because there was something sinful about them be- that they couldn't help because of their disability? No, that is not it at all. The point is that the tabernacle was meant to represent um, the way things were supposed to be on earth, the way the world should be without the effects of sin that had befallen mankind. That is not to say that if you have a disability, it's because of some sinful thing you did or your parents did. That's not the point. And of course, Jesus shoots that down directly in the New Testament. But in terms of what's going on, in terms of disabilities that happen in this world, God can use those to do incredible things, to teach incredible lessons. And you have people like Joni Eareckson Tada talking about the the blessing of her disability, right? God can work something beautiful out of that. But let's not confuse that with the fact that disability, disease, these sorts of things are the effect of the fall and are not what God ultimately wanted um, creation to be. And it's not what things will be like in heaven. And since the tabernacle is meant to communicate clearly to anyone who sees the worship going on, what that is supposed to be like in heaven, including disabled people in the aspects of of ceremonial tabernacle worship would have miscommunicated that. And that is an important thing to take away. Now, you can still think that's horrible and just uh, run away with that if, if you want to, but it would be to misunderstand what's going on with tabernacle worship. But the idea that, that God looks badly upon a horrible way to decide what is truth. So we need to keep that in mind. All right, let's move on to our last clip, and this will be the last clip. This is clip number 10. Again, there are more clips in this video, and perhaps if this goes well, um, we'll come back and do another uh, series on this at a later time. But here's the last one.
1: I started to read the Bible. Then it was gradual. First, I did not believe that the God in the Bible was good and created my own personal God. Then I realized that I was making up a God and started to question if everyone else was doing the same. That's when I started questioning, but felt guilty about it and had conversations with God like you cannot be angry that I am questioning. If you wanted me to believe you shouldn't have left all of this gaps and contradictions. Eventually I became an atheist.
0: Um. Yeah, so first of all. Uh, We're not told what these contradictions are. Again, I really I hate it when we get this kind of an assertion, and I'm not saying that to to downplay or condescend to the person that wrote this. But if I don't know, it is an assertion. If I'm not told what those contradictions are, and I can't help someone out of those contradictions or take a shot at explaining those contradictions, if I'm not told what they are, so we need to keep that in mind. If if, many times when I hear someone um, allege a contradiction. Um, There are explanations, there are things we can say about that, perhaps Issues of genre are not being taken into account. Perhaps the person misunderstands. But if I'm not told what they are, I can't help with that. Maybe if I was given something that's supposed to be a contradiction, I couldn't answer it. And I'd have to say, let me go find out and come back to you. But um, sometimes what it is, is either a mystery or a paradox. And I want to be clear, a paradox is when something looks like a contradiction on the surface. But when you look under the hood, there's no contradiction there. And there are paradoxes in the Bible. Um, For example, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. That's paradoxical. It sounds like uh, if you take it flatly, someone is crucified. Well, they're not alive anymore. But when you understand what's being said by the biblical author, you understand, no, I'm a new person now with Christ. Um, I died with Christ. I was risen with Christ, that whole thing. Then, then okay, the, par- the the contradiction falls away, and you realize it was just a paradox and not a flat contradiction. Other things are mysteries. We just don't have all the information that we would like to have, but that doesn't mean that it's a contradiction either. So until I know what those contradictions are, I can't respond to them and and address them like I'd like to. Now, as far as this person, and I've still got the wrong thing up here. Let me take that one down um, and I'll put this one up here now. Um, As far as this this thing about God, you can't be angry that I'm questioning. If you wanted me to believe you shouldn't have left all of this gap and contradiction. We don't know what those contradictions are, but as for using your reason to investigate God and question, well, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the use of the word question, but if we mean uh, look at the evidence and evaluate the evidence, I don't think that God has a problem with that at all. In fact, there's a biblical precedent for this. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says that during the time before Jesus ascended, but after his resurrection, he gave them many convincing proofs to his disciples. And so the fact that he does that, I think, gives us a reason to believe God is not opposed to your search for evidence, for the truth about uh, Christianity. So I think that's important to point out. So as we come to the end of this, um, I I think what we've seen more again, this is why I said at the beginning, I think oftentimes the people who make videos on YouTube who are atheists are careful not to make some of these mistakes. Often they want to point out very quickly, I'm not an atheist because something bad happened to me. I want to be very clear about that. But as we've seen here, many of these people are atheists because something bad happened to them, or at the very least, that's what started it. And I'm sorry that those bad things happened. My heart goes out to you. I can't sympathize with some of the horrific things that were mentioned here because I can't imagine what it would be like to go through them. But I can say this. That doesn't mean that Christianity is false, that Christians acted badly or that... um, uh, there were, there were um, uh, bad things that happened in your life doesn't mean that God doesn't care, doesn't mean God doesn't love you, and it certainly doesn't mean that the Bible isn't true just because you don't like it or Christians acted badly. And those things came up quite a bit here. Thank you, Leah or Leah, for the super chat. What do you think about the NIFB, the new independent fundamentalist Baptist, I think that is. So this is, this is interesting because the IFB, the independent fundamentalist Baptist are often, um, there is some legalism that goes on among IFB folks. And, uh, and I was raised in, by a very conservative Southern Baptist that was borderline independent Baptist, but the NIFB is a different animal altogether. It is completely different. They have some of those same trademarks. They have some of those same doctrinal positions. But these are people, if I am characterizing this correctly, like um, Stephen Anderson and others. And I am, I stand strongly against the NIFB and the things that they preach. So I'm glad that you got out of that. You said you're ex IFB. I'm so glad for that. So that's that's. Uh, I want to point that out. Um, let's see. Now that we've come to the end, maybe I'll take a few minutes and see if we have— people who have um, tagged me and, and have something to say um, So Benjamin Bethel says uh, Trinity radio, why does God hide? like why does he leave people in confusion and why doesn't just do the obvious stuff uh, to get people who are non-resistant to believe and follow him? Does he care? So there is an atheist who has presented a, a, a very rigorous argument from divine hiddenness, which is the uh, philosophical term for what you're describing. And it sounds like maybe you know that because you use the term non-resistant, and that is a term that is used in this discussion quite a bit. Um, but Schulenberg, uh put together this argument that you can look up, and it gives these steps to this. Here's the thing about it. The answer to divine hiddenness, I think, first of all, I get why it resonates. I do. Because for many people, it's like, look, why doesn't God just like appear um, in every country on their capital lawn and like reaffirm again, maybe do a couple of miracles, heal a couple of people, and, you know, to give that kind of evidence all, all over again. Um, but here's here's what I want to point out about this. Uh, first of all, um, the, the, I, this is going to sound like chest-thumping from my end, but I don't think God is all that hidden. I think that every physical object and concept in the universe can be used as a part of a compelling reason to believe that the Christian God exists. And so, when we, like Paul says in Romans one twenty, I think we can look around, we can see the creation, and we can con, we can conclude that there's a God. Even if you think that evolution handles all of that, and you're not worried about first life, abiogenesis, um, the, the fact that the universe is life-permitting, all of these things are so finely tuned. I think that that gives evidence for God. Um, I think that our moral intuitions give reason to believe that there is a God. I think our consciousness does. I think the applicability of mathematics does. There's a lot. I think the the contingency arguments work. So I think the resurrection case is good. The life of Jesus is powerful. So all of that is there. I don't think he's all that hidden. But if he were to do it the way I think that you might be imagining and that a lot of people would imagine, let's consider the fact that if if God was a dictator like that who made his uh, he he made his um, presence known in that way like a neon sign, flashing in the sky all of the time people, it could be that that fewer people end up accepting God or trusting God because while they would believe that he exists, they would believe in, they might not necessarily believe on Christ. And that is a powerful distinction. Matt Dillahunty has said that if he came to believe that the God of the Bible did exist, intellectually he believed that, he still wouldn't believe in him, believe on him in terms of worship and trusting that God. If God um, is omniscient, as classical Christianity says that he is, he would know in which world, which way to do it would result in the most people coming to faith in Christ. And it may well be that he, that he knows that in a world where he doesn't uh, use that level of force in uh, revealing himself, um, it would actually result in fewer people. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. M- many of the people who witnessed Jesus life rejected Jesus. And that of course was the time when God came to earth, did miracles, did miracles, rose again, all of these kind of things. So, um, I, I think that that is, is a compelling answer to that question. It may not be satisfactory to everyone, but it satisfies me. I think that's an important thing to mention. All right. Let's um, see if we have, um, anybody else. I'm trying to look at two screens at once here, so you'll have to forgive me. Um, Mike Winger says, good work, Braxton. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much for showing up. Mike is a good friend and I'm grateful in a lot of ways that um, you know, I, I had been able to um, you know speak a lot of places, do a lot of things, um, hang out with some of the great apologists because. I'm kind of like the um, Forrest Gump of apologetics. I just end up you know, being around some of these uh, heavyweights uh, like uh, um, William Lane Craig and Mike Licona and Mary Jo Sharp and people like that. But um, when it came to the YouTube world, it was like starting over all over again. And so people like Mike Winger and Cameron Bertuzzi and John McRae have really been helpful to me and, and, have, and, and David Wood now. They've been really helpful to me, and I, I greatly appreciate the friendship there. Um, so that means a lot. Um, this has gone pretty long. Uh, anybody else? Uh, Lee Bryant says, thanks for being willing to call out Stephen Anderson and the rest of the NIFB. You know, actually, I try not to talk about that movement and those people that much. And and it's 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 tough because on the one hand, people like you need to come out of it like you came out of it. And there are other people that need to hear that message. And so that's an important thing to get out there. But at the same time, I don't want to platform those people and talk about them too much because a lot of people haven't heard of them. And so I don't want them to be platformed too much. So it's a real tough juggling act on that. Amma says, Matt Dillahunty said that God has no explanatory power. It's like saying magic did it. So is it a problem that God can explain everything just like magic? Um, well, here's the thing. Um, that So I understand what he's saying there. If you posit God that God could be an explanation for literally anything, then it serves as an explanation for nothing. So when you so any particular phenomenon, God would count as one of the explanatory hypotheses for. But when you look at specific arguments for uh, God's existence, let's say, so the Kalam Cosmological Argument, you guys know, is one of my favorites. Um, what this points to specifically is a spaceless, timeless, non-material, exceedingly powerful mind that serves as the explanation. It, it has to be a personal mind. For reasons that I've given before, Uh, you know, one of the things I like to say is that um, it um, it that the the explanation for the beginning of the universe from a spaceless, timeless state would be um, state event causation. And you need an intelligence for that, for reasons that I've given in other videos, but also because uh, but also it's a person because um, on the basis of that argument, because there was no prior determinism in a spaceless, timeless state to cause the beginning of the universe. And this would even work for a multiverse. And on top of that, um, uh, it wouldn't be random because in a spaceless, timeless state, you can't have random stuff. So it would have to be something that has libertarian freedom. Well, what sort of things have libertarian freedoms? Only minds do. So it would have to be a mind. So this argument gets you to a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful mind um, as the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. Now, um, he's talking about a God such as you're describing could explain anything. We're not even talking there about all the omnis, omnipotent, omniscient, uh, these are things we would get to later on down the line in argumentation through um, doctrinal stuff. So I, I just don't see that. Plus, as I said earlier in this video with abiogenesis, seems to point to an intelligence. That's all we're asking for. We're not We're not saying it points to this God who can literally do anything at once and all these kind of things. Just saying it points to an intelligence. But an intelligent creator at base is what we mean when we talk about God. So I just think that's an unfair, um, uh, I understand why he says it, but I, I just don't think it works. All right, I'm not seeing anything else um, necessarily here, um, but uh, I appreciate you all being here. Let's see, what do you do in your own interpret in your in your own life to interpret Genesis given the age of the Earth, uh, real or symbolic? Uh, Adam John Stanley asks. Uh, so I believe in a historical Adam and Eve. I, I believe in a historical Adam and Eve, but I lean strongly old Earth. And that is because I do think that science gives us good reasons to believe that the universe is much older. I just finished auditing a course um, called uh, from Tokyo University called From the Big Bang to Dark Matter. And it went through a lot of the stuff. I had already been old earth before that class, but that class gave me a lot more reason to believe it. Um, but I don't think that conflicts with the Bible at all, because I don't think God was trying to teach ancient people's modern cosmology um, even if you go back to the first several hundred years of the church, they are already talking about how Genesis 1 is an interesting genre of Scripture that it's difficult to, um, to, to pin down what the genre should be. And I think if you take, certain, uh, if, if you take a certain understanding of Genesis 1, um, I think, I think that, uh, that you get it. Now, I'll, t- I'll point you to where you can get a much fuller discussion of that. And that is, I have on this channel a playlist for my Genesis series. And I think it's in the second lecture that I go through that. It's, the, it's in one of the first three lectures that I go through the various views on Genesis 1, and, and we go through all of the data on that. So you might, you might look at that. Um, let's see. My dad's biggest, uh, Jose Martinez says, my dad's biggest objections to Christianity is that he can't imagine how heaven will be like and why Jesus hasn't returned. Well, you know, that is um, a criticism that was suggested or, or anticipated even by the New Testament authors. Uh, but you understand, the the, the thing is, um, God, I believe it's a mercy that God has not returned yet because he is giving the opportunity for us to do evangelism and reach the utmost parts of the earth with the gospel. And there are still people who haven't heard the gospel and there are still people who will accept the gospel even though they have already heard it. And so, um, you know, it's it's actually a mercy, I think, that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Uh, do we do we wonder why hasn't he returned yet? Sometimes, sure, sometimes. Uh, and I pray for it. it's the great hope of the Christian that Jesus will return. My daughter was talking to me yesterday about someone who was saying that they they hope they died in a certain way, and she said maybe I hope I die that way when I die. And she said, what about you, dad? And I said, I don't plan to die. <laughs> my great hope is that the Lord returns in my lifetime. So um, without getting too much into eschatological stuff. So can't imagine what heaven will be like. Well, if, if he has trouble ha- imagining what heaven will be like, Some people think of heaven as this ethereal existence, walking on clouds with angels' wings and harps and all these kind of things. But understand that the Garden of Eden was the prototype for um, what God wanted. In fact, the tree is mentioned in the garden. The tree is mentioned in the final chapter of Revelation, this same tree with leaves that are for the healing of the nations. And so the new heaven on the new earth will be much like um, God initially planned for the earth to be. So it will be um, a much more earthy existence in that regard. So you can talk to your father about that. I think that's very important to... uh, that we understand that that it's not some ethereal existence. Whatever the existence right now in the intermediate state is, the new heaven on the new earth will be, perhaps we'll be sitting around wherever you're at right now, 10,000 years from now, and we'll be talking about this that day when we did that, we had that rudimentary technology where we had to communicate over the internet. Um, I believe that that's, that's a real thing. So when you think about heaven, make sure you think about heaven uh, the way that the Bible talks about heaven. Maxwell Yates has appeared. And he says, Brax, how's your burn healing from when I destroyed you in our debate? Um, well, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure I recall a time when you destroyed me in a debate, Maxwell. So you'll have to remind me of that at some point. Well, I think we've come to a point now where I'm go- But thank you for the super chat, Maxwell. Um, I think I'll, I'll uh, go ahead and, and end things now. But this has been fun. We had a pretty good number of people in the super chat and are in the chat. And I enjoyed this. If this has been beneficial to you, let me know, um, if not in this chat, in the uh, in the comments to this, and then we'll go ahead and finish out the rest of these Reddit uh, comments at some point down the road, because I thought it was kind of fun. Um, I, I appreciate all of you for being here. Thank you for showing up. I'm constantly amazed that anyone listens to me and preach it when we come on here and ramble on. But it, it it is a blessing to me to be able to minister this way, especially when I can't be on the road like I typically am because of the coronavirus. You all are so, I'm so grateful for you. Even, you know, the unbelievers that are the non-Christians that are here love you all and pray for you daily, even though I know that you don't think that prayer is efficacious or does anything. I'm praying for you because just just interpret that as I'm thinking uh, about you and and have positive hopes for you. But, um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close things down, but thanks for being here. And we'll see you next time on Trinity radio. I was